Today we go to the Monroe Institute to get a first-hand look at what the effects of Loosh may really have on the human psyche. And then I am going to give myself a challenge. I am going to, by the end of this episode, prove to you, using science, that prehistoric creatures may have helped build the pyramids. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day, I hope you guys are having a great day too. It was awfully radio DJ sounding. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Hoots Cheech. Hoots Cheech, thank you so much for supporting the show, you're going to be our pilot of this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too, just help get the word out about the show, that really helps out a lot. We also have a merch store and the Minecraft server is set up for the new update. So if you want to play the Minecraft server, that'd be awesome. So Hoots, let's go ahead and give you the keys. We're going to start off in the Jason Jalopy. We're going to take a little drive from Oregon. We are headed out to the Monroe Institute in Faber, Virginia. I'm recording my episode. I'm doing a lot of advanced recording right now because I plan on taking a real vacation soon. I haven't more had more than a week off in two years since I'm doing the show. I'm trying to record episodes in batches, so when I take an upcoming vacation, I can actually just sit and watch sci-fi channel movies for three weeks in a row and not have to be recording stuff. I'm taking all my recording gear with me in case there's a late-breaking story, but it'll be nice to just kind (sighs) of relax. So the reason why I give you that little interlude, and I've been telling the Patreon people that for a while. I've been posting actually previews of upcoming stories because I'm recording so far in advance. The reason why I'm going through all that is I actually am recording this story before the Loosh episode comes out. Now, you guys will have already heard it by now, but I'm going to give you a little behind-the-scenes thing. I don't think that episode's going to be received very well. I think that's an episode I'm going to get a lot of feedback, a negative feedback on, Loosh feedback on, because it's one of those stories where I kind of... It's a very popular belief system, and I was ragging on it for like 20 minutes straight. I imagine that's an episode that people are going to be upset about. But... One of the re and I kind of went into it in the episode, but one of the reasons why I'm upset about and if you don't know what the loosh is, you don't really have to go back and listen to Friday's episode. This is just kind of a side thing, but I still believe, even though I just recorded that episode a couple days ago, I still believe in that time period, and my mind hasn't been changed in 48 hours, that I think any religion, any belief system that's structured around fear is a bad one. I mean, is that, isn't that something we should all agree on? I think anything that invokes fear in the participants, and you can say, sure, you know, Christianity, hell, and brimstone, and all that stuff, but the point of most religions is there's hope in the end. If you're a good person, you get rewarded. And good conquers evil. The ideas that are put forth in the stories of Lush that I've read online, now I haven't read Robert Monroe's books or anything like that, maybe he has a happy ending at some point, but every time I come across Lush online, the idea of Lush, which is... That there are archons. I can't pronounce that word a couple days ago and I can't pronounce it now. There are these interdimensional beings that make us suffer. And we're basically just a farm. The entire planet, all reality is a farm. So these creatures are farming our delicious, delicious misery. And the only reason we exist is to live horrible lives and then eventually we get eaten and it, it was for nothing. That's really loose in a nutshell. Apparently, there's some way to transcend it, but, you know, again, most of the people who come across, most of the stuff I've come across with Lush, it's pretty, it's pretty heart, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty negative. So, all, all that being said, 
Roots <laughs> is like turning the car around. I don't want to finish the story. No, no, no. Come on. It'll be dope. We're all fighting over the steering wheel. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of loose eating aliens floating above the car being like, <laughs> the chaos in the car is extra delicious. Eventually we get to the Monroe Institute. I, I read this interesting article and it was too cool to just kind of summarize during my loose episode. It was written by Stephen Barling called Cosmic Degrees, Out of Body at the Monroe Institute. And what happens is this dude, this journalist, works for a like alternative magazine it looked like called The Hook, a local alternative magazine. So he decides to check into the Monroe Institute and see what it's all about. And the Monroe Institute was really about like astral travel, balancing the mind. So you go there, you pay 1500 bucks. Hoots, you got enough money to cover me and all of the listeners? Hoots is nodding. Okay, perfect. $1,500 per person. I had that in after Hoots is already paying. And you go in, you basically, it's like you spend mornings eating breakfast, and then you like like do stuff with people who are like guided astral travel people. They're ghosts. They're all trying to take your credit card. The coins are just like dropping through the hands. And then at night, you, you are in a pod. So, and that's not a, that's an, you're in an actual pod, apparently. There's like these deprivation type chambers or something like that. And so this journalist, Stephen Barling, goes to do this to see what it's all about. It's just kind of a puff piece. And he joins us up. And the way just the, the I don't know why they did this. I mean, if I'm paying $1,500 $1, for this program, I want my own room. Apparently, you have to have roommates with this. And you're not bringing your own astral travel buddy because you just astral travel at home, right? You just, one person falls asleep and dreams, and then you wake that person up and go, my turn, and then you fall asleep and dream. It's funny, because on the Loosh episode, I kept making fun of the idea of visions while you sleep. I actually believe, and I don't know if this came across in Friday's episode, I do believe that you can astrally travel. I do believe that you can project your soul from your body. I 100% believe that. I don't base my belief systems on it, because I think, one, it's not super easy to do, and two, a, a lot of it is you probably dreaming or having a seizure. Astral travel is actually one of the hippy-dippy things that I believe in, but I, I think it's also something that could easily be mistaken for a dream or a grand mal seizure, and then you have to go to the hospital. So anyways, if I wouldn't pay $1,500 to have someone teach me how to float around, but I mean, if they could guarantee it, right? I'd be like, what? Yeah, here's all my money. Whee! And then I'm floating to the bank, canceling my check. But you have to share a room with someone. So anyway, Steven goes in and he signs up for a $1,500 program. And he meets a guy, like they're in this big meet and greet in the beginning. He meets a guy named Jack. Now, Jack is not his real name for obvious reasons coming up. They had just had dinner as a group. Someone says they're going to bring out cherry pie. And Steven starts going, pie? A pie? A pie? I'm just joking around. Acting like he's really excited for cherry pie. And Jack turns... And stares to Steven and goes, Hi. Everyone's like, what? What was that? Well, yes, we're having pie. No, that's not what this means. Jack goes on to tell this story, okay? He ha used to have a problem with pie. Now, not in the delicious, yummy food, but in the number. In that magical, mystical number known as pie, which I never got the big deal about, but I'm not a math dude. I guess maybe it is something awesome. But anyways... Four years earlier, we go back into Jack's past, and he's sitting there, and he's like in his house, and everything's pie. everything's pie. Like, that's all he's talking about. He's writing it down everywhere. He's like waking his wife up in the morning. Hey, guess what? Guess what? 
pie. Like, that's uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much, because he becomes obsessed with pie. Actually, that might be an understatement. He becomes so obsessed with pie, the implications of what pie means, that he will not stop talking about it. Eventually, his wife gets so concerned, she calls the police. And the police finds out that he's a licensed federal gun dealer. So they call in SWAT. Call in the SWAT unit for this pie guy. And then we get to this great quote in this article. Quote. So I don't actually, before I start the quote, I don't know if SWAT showed up before, during, or after this. I think that it was during, because all this stuff seemed to be going on. But if it was during, I can't imagine the SWAT team walking past this dude. Or maybe they were even confused by what was going on. Here's this quote from this article. Quote, Jack found himself naked in the street. demanding to speak to a mathematician as flak-jacketed teams ransacked his house. So the reason why I don't... So I'm imagining, like, did he walk past him? He's like, good morning, gentlemen. And he's taking his clothes off, and the SWAT team's like, uh, we better just secure the house and make sure there's no... We know he doesn't have a gun. He's taking his clothes off. He's naked. So while SWAT is kicking in his door looking for his guns, he's outside going, does anyone have the number of a mathematician? I must know, pie... So he obviously went off the deep end. He tells the tells everyone at the table the story, and then they tell Stephen, the author of the the piece, and everyone knew he was a journalist. But they go, "Oh, guess who's going to be your roommate? It's Jack. It's the pie guy." But Stephen goes, "He seemed to be pretty fine by now. He had all his clothes on, right? That's a plus. That's a starter. He did actually end up going to a mental hospital for a while after that, but and he's no longer allowed to possess a gun, so he had to get a new job, but." Now it's his roommate. So the next morning they wake up and they're like sitting around in a classroom and they're asking about their dreams because they have to listen to like binaural beats. Can't pronounce that word still either. While they're sleeping and they try to invoke visions and stuff like that. And spoiler alert, Steven said he went through all this stuff. He didn't really have any visions. He didn't really feel like it was doing what it was supposed to be doing. He also started off by saying, I'm not a skeptic, but I'm not really a believer either. He's open to this type of experience, but he he didn't really think it worked out. But anyway, so Jack is, they're doing their meeting the next day, and Jack goes, I had a dream that this was Survivor. This was a television show Survivor, because this story takes place like in 2008. It's the show Survivor, and you got voted off. And he points at Steven. Steven's like, oh, oh, this is going to get weird, right? Then a couple days pass, and Jack, they're doing this whole meeting thing again, and Jack goes, I had another dream. I had a dream that you, points at Steven again, his roommate, the man who has to sleep next to him while he's trapped in a pod, which I don't know if being in a pod would make you feel safer, or I think it would be more scary if you, like, slept in an egg, right? Like, you're Mork and Mindy, that's an old reference. Like, okay, just imagine a chicken and an egg, that makes more sense. You're in an egg, right? You're in a pod, and there's a crazy person outside the pod. technically you're safe in the pod not an egg they just crack the egg but you're safe in the pod but the thing is pods are generally built to be open from the inside and the outside so now if a crazy person opens up your pod where are you going to run like on a bed you can usually roll off on one side and like crawl underneath it or (laughs) just stand up and walk away rather than being trapped in a pod you i imagine being like getting in a tanning bed and seeing like a silhouette walking up next to you and just standing there would be far scarier than if you were laying in your bed right now and you saw a silhouette standing at the edge of your bed. 
I mean, if I guess they're both scary, right? But one of them you can maneuver. One of them you can duck and weave, duck and weave. Anyways, Jack now tells us dream, another dream about Stephen, where Stephen was driving a mail car, like a box van down the road, and plows into a group of people. And you can just imagine what Steven's thinking at this point. Like, dude, first off, this cost me $1,500. Secondly, it's not working. And third, can I get a new... Can I please get a new roommate? Jack says he has this dream where Steven's driving a car and he plows into a group of people, killing them. And one of the people in the group was a young boy. And then the boy begins to morph into, like, a fetus. Like, uh, 2001, like a big old baby. And then Jack realizes that he was the boy, and Stephen killed him. <laughs> Come on, man. Give me another room, dude. Like, seriously? First he's having dreams where I get voted off the island, which, whatever. But now he's having dreams where I murder, murder him. He turns into a space baby. Like, just, please. Like, I will pay you an extra $1,500 for another room. And so then, really, to make a long story short... The other people in the group, all Jack wants to do is talk about Jack. Every time they, you know the guy, you know that type of person, right? Every time a story comes up, Jack goes, oh, oh, you had a dream about murdering someone? So did I. Well, it wasn't me, it was Steven, but I was the victim. And then someone's like, hey, does anyone have any Orange Crush? Orange Crush? I used to crush oranges back on the vineyard. People are like, oranges don't grow on a vineyard. What? Vineyard? I used to drink wine. Like, you know, no matter what, right? They always have a story. And so eventually someone said, listen, I've experienced stuff too. Can someone else tell their story? And at that point, Jack fell totally silent and then went completely off the rocker. Here, here's, the, here's this quote from this article. That was it. He never fully came back. After sitting quietly through the rest of the group session, Jack began his descent. And by the next day, he was in full-time channeling mode and had to be separated from the group. They took him off the tapes. He could no longer listen to the Byron Earl tapes. He's like, oh, man, that was my favorite song. Put it on a Spotify playlist. It's all... He's still flipping him out. He had to start seeing an on-site psychologist. Eventually, he had such a deep like, mental breakdown, they had to call his mom to pick him up. And then Stephen basically ends the article being like, it's a wacky place. It's a wacky place. He said the most normal people there were the people who worked there, which was odd considering they... We're talking about astral projection all day long. So that's the story of Jack and Steve. And I thought it was an interesting little microcosm of just the conspiracy world, the world of fringe beliefs, just kind of melt. You have someone who comes in who's an outsider. He's just like, oh, that's kind of an interesting topic. And I think that's how most of us view this stuff. I mean, obviously, I've spent decades of my life researching it, but I'm always like, oh, you know, I'm always looking for something cool, new, something. And I never give too much credit for it. I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. And then you have people who just dive in head first. And whether it's a belief that the number pi can unlock the universe. Oh, my God. I hope he never saw that movie. I hope that Jack knows. <laughs> he's, he's Taryn Arfranoski, or everybody remembers his name. It's a, the actual director of pi. After this incident, he's like, ah, well, I got kicked out. I got attacked by SWAT, and I got kicked out of the Monroe Institute. Maybe I'll make a movie. And then I'll follow it up with a really long, boring movie called The Fountain. It could be, it could be Darren. Don't sue me if it's not, or if it is. But I think it's intro microcosm. We have the tourist, who's the journalist, just trying to get a interesting story. And I think this was an interesting story. And then you have the person who jumps in, pays the fifteen hundred dollars, goes full bore with it, and loses it. And whether it was being isolated from 
his support group. Maybe it was the binaural beats. Maybe it was being the center of attention. Every time he told a story, people were paying attention to him. And it just, when they stopped paying attention, he lost it. But it's an interesting look at that those two aspects of the paranormal community. I think most of us are curious about this stuff. We're tourists. We may take a couple of the subjects more seriously than other subjects. And then there are other people, and you guys have seen them online or maybe know them in real life. No matter what the conspiracy theory is, no matter what the belief is, they believe it 100%. And the people who believe all conspiracy theories, you know, they may be right on 10% of them. But the other 90%, they're wrong. They're wrong. And you know what? When you're wrong, you end up eating a slice of humble pie. Hoots, Cheech, Let's hop in that carpenter copter. We are leaving behind the Monroe Institute. We're headed out to Egypt. Now, this was a challenge I gave myself. This is a topic on the conspiracy theory iceberg. This is a topic I got off the conspiracy theory iceberg. And again, hats off to some weirdo on Twitter, a.k.a. Jack, different Jack, different Jack, for putting together this all in an Excel document because it's really made it easy for me to go through. Hoots, let's bring it down. We're flying over Egypt, and we see those great pyramids. That's the first thing you think of when you think of Egypt, right? You think of the pyramids, you think of the Sphinx, and then the desert. And then if you live there, you think, Mom, Dad, I love you guys. But for, you know, the other 98% of the planet, the pyramids and the Sphinx. On the conspiracy theory iceberg, we have the conspiracy theory. Dinosaurs helped build the pyramids. And I looked at that, and I did some research on it, and I thought, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this work. Using science. Using science. Let's see how close I can get you guys on this. Neo-creationist is the term I like to use. There's a lot of people who are creationists, and I would consider myself in this. I believe that God created the universe, but I believe that... There goes 50 subscribers, but hold on. I believe that he, he created it in the realm of science, if that makes sense. I don't believe he created it in seven days. I think that the, the when you look at the Hebrew word for day, it means epoch or era in that translation so he built it over time and evolution's real i believe all that stuff and god is a guiding hand through all of that stuff neo-creationists is the term i use for these guys are the guys who believe that the world is only six thousand years old now in that theory there is stuff saying that dinosaurs helped build the pyramids that's foolish right they'll have like drawings of a brontosaurus pulling a brick super funny looking but that's not real, right? Right? It's not, right? No. Dinosaurs, the best estimate we have is they died out 65 million years ago. Even if that number is wrong by double, half, whatever, 30 million years ago, even if it's wrong in fourths, 15 million years ago, it's still nowhere even close to the rise of humans or even close to the Stone Age or anything like that. So when you look at the term, did dinosaurs help build the pyramids? I think right there we can say no. but. Stick with me. Stick with me. I might surprise you on this. The pyramids were built around 2500 BC, according to our best radiocarbon evidence. Now, some people say that that is taken from the wood inside the pyramid, and the wood may actually be newer than the construction of the pyramid itself. Let's table that for a second. When we look at Egyptian artwork, Mesopotamian artwork, there's a creature known as the Serpapard. The Serpapard. The Serpapard. It's a cross between a leopard and a serpent. It's a leopard with the long neck of a snake. Now, people have said that's a really weird design. Because here, I mean, let me read you this quote. The Egyptians are well known for their accurate depictions of animals, leading some archaeologists to believe that the Serpapapard is not a mythical creature, but an extinct animal that existed during that time. Where did I get that quote? 
I got that quote from Cryptid Wiki. Now, sure, they're not an Egypt-specific website, but again, let's think about that for a second. In other places other than Cryptid Wiki, they do talk about this Sir Popard. Sir Popard. And some people have said, well, maybe that is their version of a dinosaur that helped them build bricks, carrying these big bricks up the pyramids and things like that. But it's interesting because people don't know what to make of that. People say everything else in the Egyptian bestiary is real. I mean, when I read that, I go, yeah, maybe. But what about the dude with the dog head, right? Like, that guy's not real. Anubis? That dude's not real. As as he kicks in my door, he's like, I am real. Sorry, Anubis. But, I mean, probably not real. <laughs> probably not real, right? I'm getting ready to eat my louche. So, even if these things were real, even if this was a contemporary creature of the Egyptians that died off, according to the measurements that we can pull off, they're only three feet tall at the shoulder. And 30 feet long from the neck to the tail. So, from the head to the tail. So... Those things may or may not have existed. Again, it is weird that everything else appears to match up according to Cryptid Wiki. And, and again, other sites said that, but it is weird that everything matched up. But even if that's the case, they weren't big enough to be carrying rocks. You could throw your kids on the back of them and go for a ride. It'd be totally awesome. But I don't think they're going to help you build the pyramids. Hear me out. Hear me out on this. Robert Bavall is an author, and he's a guy who came up with a fringe theory that the pyramids match up to Orion's belt. And what's funny is I heard that theory for the longest time. Orion's belt, if you don't know, it's a constellation in the sky. It's not an actual guy. I was walking by with the belt, and they're like, well, golly, stand there for a thousand years. We're going to match this up. Orion's belt, the constellation in the sky. The pyramids match up to it perfectly. And I, I've heard that stated over and over and over again. And it's one of those things like the ancient astronaut theory and all of that. And the Sphinx was built, from what they can tell, is that the Sphinx is, was not built at the same time of the pyramids. It was built about 500 years earlier than the pyramids. So it, it's it's older than the pyramids, and some people think it could be far older. There's a new theory appearing, and again, people say it's a French theory, but based on water erosion, it could be way older than we think it is. But we'll go with the general science. I'm going to go right now with the numbers that the pyramids were constructed in the year 2500 BC. The pyramids, as we know them, were constructed in the year 2500 BC, and the Sphinx was constructed about 500 years earlier than that. But Jason, prehistoric animals weren't around in 2500 BC. Unless these serpopods were running around, there were no prehistoric animals in 2500 BC. Hold up. Robert Bavol has a theory, it's a French theory, that the pyramids match up to Orion's belt, and the, and the Sphinx matches up to a star as well. But, the only time, which is true, they do match up to that, but the only time it would have matched up, because, you know, constellations move around, everything's constantly moving, the only time that Orion's belt would have been perfectly aligned with Egypt... So, like, the distances and the degrees you can figure out, it looks like Orion's Belt. But the only time that Orion's Belt would be over Egypt was in 10,000 B.C. And the pyramids... So, his argument was that the pyramids are far older. The pyramids were built in 10,000 B.C. And all the radiocarbon dating is wrong. But... I want to go with science on this one. I'm trying to use as much real science as possible. Now, I could throw out the radiocarbon dating. I could go, eh, it doesn't work. And apparently, it doesn't work any... Going for after 1950, it will never work. 
it doesn't work because there's so much radiation in the air. Before 1950, we can match stuff up. And there's it's been contested and stuff like that, but I don't want to get into that. Let's say that, yes, the pyramids were built in 2500 BC and the Sphinx was built before that. How do they match up to Orion's build? Now, again, Egyptologists say it doesn't, or it's just a coincidence, or it does, but they just kind of looked at it and it was at a distance and da 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 Robert Baval says if at 10,000 BC, those stars are perfectly lined up to the pyramids. Hear me out. This is where I'm going to make my case. You know that the Christian church has a bad habit of doing this. I don't know if they do it anymore. I think they've kind of done it <laughs> they've done it as much as they can. But when you would have a holy site that was created by another religion, say like a druid or a pagan religion or something like that, they would knock it down. You had a, a ring in the forest where pagans used to go there, dance naked, talk about pie all the time. A SWAT is kicking in some elf door. They're right in this they're right in the dwarf fortress. The Christian church would build a chapel on top of it. It'd go to these places that were being used for hundreds of years by paganistic religions. They knock it over, they build a church on it. Now, I have a theory about that. I, a lot of people go, it's so the people like, let's say you're in Ireland and you worship some uh, ogre or whatever, whatever they, whatever pagans worship, a big tree. And <laughs> there goes another 50 subscribers, my pagan, my pagan listeners. The church would come down, chop down the tree, put it up basically to, one, subvert the local power base, say, nope, we're the most powerful people in town. Two, so that way all the Irish people know where to go, right? Because they're like, hey, where, where's church at? And they're like, where did you, Seamus, where did you, where did you pray last week? I prayed to the giant tree. Well, then just pretend it's a tree, but you're going to walk inside, you're going to sit down instead. I can walk inside a tree, just go there. So... It, they would know where it was, basically. They wouldn't need directions. I have an idea. I have a theory that this is thrown out the science thing for a second, but I have a theory that there are certain... Pl- the reason why that tree or that glen was was picked by the pagans in the first place because it held power. I know I said I was going to talk about science, but it held an intrinsic power in and of itself. And the Christian church, when they came in, they weren't... They, they picked up on the power as well. Holy ground is holy ground. Holy ground is holy ground. So whether it's holy because it was to Artemis or it's holy because it's to St. Michael, it's holy ground. And it's been holy for tens of thousands of years before people even stumbled across it. That's my theory. I think that the reason when you had the churches being built, that was one of the reasons they go, well, we can already feel this place is powerful. There's a presence here. It has nothing to do with science. And they're probably muddying the issue. But anyways... That's what, that's what I think. But regardless of my theory or the general theory that they were just knocking, they Christians just like knocking down trees, building churches there. I think it's a useful tactic either way, right? But who's to say that the modern Christian church pioneered that effort? I always know, I always hear about it of the Christian church. But who's to say that other groups haven't done that? Who's to say that the Druids who found that glen, there wasn't a Stone Age monument there before the pagans got there. The bramble had been cleared out by hand. A tribe that had long been decimated considered that spot holy. Again, because holy land is holy land. What if the pyramids were built in 2500 BC, but the specific locations, the layout of the pyramids was laid out in 10,000 BC when a Stone Age tribe of Egypt 
looked up at the sky and saw Orion's belt aligned perfectly with this patch of land. Now, they didn't have the ability to make pyramids. They weren't able to pour concrete or work these giant mechanisms. I do believe the pyramids were built by humans, too. I guess I, there's no, aliens aren't going to show up anywhere in this story. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but they didn't have the ability to do that level of engineering. But they knew that this was a special place, a special point in time where they could look up and see these stars. So they did what they could do. They do what we've seen so many other cultures do around the world. They built mounds. They built mounds marking the spots of the Orion's belt and then that star where the Sphinx would later lay. You could mark that territory and it wouldn't have to be anything that would stand the test of time. It most likely wouldn't, right? The Stone Age culture that built these mounds or depressions or whatever they were to mark this point where this beautiful star arrangement aligned perfectly over Egypt. This Stone Age tribe does it. And then when they're wiped out and another tribe comes in and they're wiped out and another tribe comes in and eventually we move to the Bronze Age. We move on through the ages when the pyramids are being built. There's no historical record as to why there. But they put them there perfectly matches up to Orion's belt to mark these places as holy forever. Rather than just earthworks, mounds. If that area of land was marked to match Orion's belt, which matched up to the year 10,000 BC, mammoths did not die out until 8,500 BC. So we would have a 1,500 year period. So we would have, we know humans did not run alongside dinosaurs, as dope as that would be. Almost makes me want to be a neo-creationist, right? But that just didn't happen. But humans did live alongside mammoths. They didn't wake up and pet them in the morning, but they hunted them. Why couldn't they have taken them as beasts of burden, trained them to be beasts of burden, maybe little baby ones, and used these massive creatures, who actually weigh as much as a Tyrannosaurus rex, I didn't know that until I was researching this, and used them to make these earthworks these massive markers that match up perfectly with Orion's belt. These wouldn't show up in any sort of historical reference today, other than the fact that it marked a place in time that only existed in 10,000 BC. The pyramids don't have to be built in 10,000 BC. They only have to be, the locations only have to be marked in 10,000 BC. Like we have the major earthworks of the Native Americans. It's still here in America where they took their time and they made these giant mounds marking the marking these areas. My using, I should have said this earlier, with the conspiracy cap fully on, using science and the phrase, did dinosaurs help build the pyramids? I think we can state a reasonable hypothesis that a Stone Age tribe used mammoths to mark this area. And why mammoths? Well, because the conspiracy... Well, they didn't need mammoths, right? But it just makes the conspiracy theory work. And why not mammoths, right? But I, I the mammoths aside, the mammoths make it one fit this theme. Prehistoric creatures help build the pyramids. But two, I think that you don't need to have the pyramids built in 10,000 BC for this to make 
to work because the pyramids could be built in 2500 BC. The pyramids could have been built in 2500 AD. The point is, is that they were mar- that area was marked in some fashion in 10,000 BC to celebrate that star alignment over Egypt. You can take this episode as a cautionary tale of what happens when you spend too much time looking at Excel spreadsheet full of nonsense sayings, or you can take a look at it and go, that's what happens when you take a conspiracy theory and work backwards. You can make almost anything sound plausible. Even did prehistoric animals help build the pyramids. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Mm-hmm.